0: Get ready for what's coming. More speed, more of everything. This is my last chance. If I lose, I never get to do this again. Don't fear failure. Be afraid of not having the chance. You have the chance. Good morning. We are so glad that you are worshiping here with us at West this morning. Uh, We are in the middle of a series on NASCAR. I understand that we're split about 50-50. We have about 50% of the people that are NASCAR fans and 50% of the people that aren't. So it's an interesting series. And frankly, I know zero about NASCAR and my ignorance of the sport showed last Sunday. So hopefully today I won't, you know, reveal any more inconsistencies or things that I don't know. My name is Andrea Smith. I'm the pastor here at West, and if you're worshiping with us for the first time, or if you are new to West this morning, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. We have a welcome tent out front, and we would love for you to let us know that you are worshiping with us. We will not inundate you with uh, propaganda, but we would like to know that you're here. For those of you worshiping with us online this morning, we extend a very special welcome to you. Today is a a special day. We're going to do something a little different. Later on in the service And then at the end of the service We are going to commission uh, Somewhere between 45 and 47 I have not figured out the accurate number yet Because it keeps changing Which is amazing Uh, People to go on our youth Area mission trip to Wilmington, North Carolina. That team is led by Leanne Rose, and she has done just a phenomenal job. This is the most folks we have ever had go on a mission trip from West, like 45 to 47. And it is, I'm so excited for you guys to meet them, to pray for them today, and to pray for them in the days ahead. And actually, it's really cool that today's message is about the blue flag in NASCAR. And how many of you have heard of the blue flag that waves in a NASCAR race? Will you clap? How many of you knew that there was no, you know, you, know, you had no idea that there was such a thing? It's not a, a you know, real popular flag. You start with the uh, white flag, Right. Green see I still don't know all the flags. Ha! Ah, this is like the worst sermon series ever. So they start with green. I don't know what white means. I think I'm supposed to learn that this week. And this one is the what? And yes, and so thank goodness this message series ends in two weeks, uh, and I won't have to stress out about this anymore, but the blue flag is the flag that is waved if you're basically in the race and you're not having a very good day. It means that you are going so slow that you are getting ready to be lapped, and it means basically move out of the way. Now it's called a courtesy flag. So if you see the blue flag, you don't have to move over, but it's a good idea because it means that like I said, you've been lapped and the leaders are are needing to get past you. And so, you know, I'm not clearly, I'm not a race car driver, but I can imagine what would go through my mind if I am racing and all of a sudden I get the blue flag and I realize, you know, that I'm like last and I'm really not doing well, what would I do? You know, we all face blue flag moments in our lives every day. We believe that we're on this thing called a race of life. That analogy is used over and over in scripture, that uh, life is a journey, that it's a race, that we're competing for a prize. And so this morning, I want us to think about what is the prize? What does winning look like? So I want you to ask yourself that in your own lives right now. What does winning look like? look like. If you're retired, it'll be different than somebody who perhaps is in the working world or for somebody who's in school, getting ready to go to college, uh, getting ready to start back to school in about a month. You know, winning looks like different things for different people. So I want you to think about that for just a second. You know, in preacher world, in my world, there's winning and losing as well. I was having lunch with a friend of mine that I had not seen in many, many years. I was friends with this gentleman. When I started ministry 22 years ago In Morganton, North Carolina And we both were in very different roles at that time and, and honestly, we've seen each other over the years And now he is at a church in Huntersville And so we've said, okay, let's let's have lunch And we were sitting at lunch And he has apparently followed West's story West, if you're new to West We are almost seven years old On September, the second weekend in September That's when we were born out of Williamson's Chapel, United Methodist Church, and then a couple of years after we launched, we, per United Methodist Standards, had enough people to become what I call a legit church. I'm sure there are fancier words to use for that, but I call it a legit church. So we became West United Methodist Church, and we're uh, three and a half, four years old. Now, Paul, my friend, had been following our story, and he's always served in sort of a mentor role with me. So he said, okay, Andrea, so let's get real. He said, you know, you know how this thing in the Methodist church works, right? It's called the itineracy, And what that means, if you are new to Methodism, is that pastors like me are appointed to a church a year at a time. And, you know, you are at the the prayerful consideration of the bishop and the cabinet and your district superintendent who is our boss and they decide every year in collaboration with the leadership of the church and with the pastor if you should stay for another year and every year you you're up for you know a new appointment so Paul told me, you know, when you start new churches, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be there for a little while because new churches need stability of pastor and all that kind of stuff. He said, but, you know, so let's get real. You've been there seven years. West is stable. You know, you're doing fine. You're doing great stuff out in the community. So what's up and what's in it for you? What does winning look like for you, basically, was the question that he was asking me. And, you know, in the moment, I gave my, you know, normal answer that I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about and, you know, planning whether or not this is the right answer. But I said, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy there. And as long as the ministry is effective and I am effective, if I start tanking and nobody comes to church anymore, then they need a new pastor. But For right now, I'm really happy, and I would be happy there as long as the conference will see fit to leave me there. And he said, okay, that's nice. Now, what do you really think? And that took me aback. You know, he was asking me, what does winning look like in my life, in my career? And it caused me to think, If you're the race car driver on the track and the lead car is coming up behind you and you get that blue flag and it tells you to move over, you know, it really means you're not winning. It means you're not winning so bad that you're probably close to last. And I imagine that there's lots of feelings and thoughts that go around that one of the indie car winners, and I will not massacre his name this morning, but uh, he gave an interview about the blue flag. And he said, you know, it's a courtesy flag. You don't have to, you don't have to heed it. But, but most of the time, drivers do. And it requires humility. It requires knowing that, you know what, I'm not going to win So right now, in this moment, I need to care about somebody else's race other than my own. And that's what I want us to think about this morning for a little while. What would it mean in our lives if we had blue flag moments and we cared about other people's races more than our own? Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the author Stephen Covey. He wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he's written different uh, books to follow that. Seven Highly Habits of Highly Effective Teenagers, and it's just he's a great author. And he tells this story about one Saturday morning he was on the New York subway. It was very early. the The subway car was really quiet. People on the car were either listening to their headphones and music, or some were dozing off, or other. people People were reading. He said everybody was basically minding their own business and not paying attention to each other. He said it was a very peaceful and quiet moment until they made a stop. And he said, when they made a stop, this, this man got on the car and he had several young children. The man came into the subway car, he sat down, and then he started doing exactly what all the other people had been doing as well. He put his head down and he closed his eyes. And then he proceeded to ignore his children. And the children began began doing what children do. They were running and playing and having fun and they were loud and they were screaming. And Covey said that, you know, after several minutes of this, he started looking at the man like, you know, hello, these are your children. Are you going to control them? The man made no effort to even acknowledge that the children were running amok. So after a few more minutes, Covey approached the man and said, you know, sir, look, do you not notice that everybody in this car was, you know, quietly tending to their own business and lives? And once you got on, your kids started running you know, crazy and they have basically disrupted the entire cart. Have you noticed that? And he said, you know, that after he said that to the man, the man opened his eyes and looked around and and he started taking note of how his kids were acting. And after a few seconds, he said, you know, you're right. He said, you know, we just left the hospital and their mom just died. And I don't really know what to do and I'm sure they don't either. Covey said... That changed everything for him. That's what a blue flag moment is in our lives when we start taking note of other people's needs and situations instead of our own. You know, we are geared, I believe, as human, human beings to take care of our own needs first It's just who we are and how we're wired and we grow up like that. But at some point when we move into emotional and mental and hopefully spiritual maturity, we'll start living with some blue flag moments. And we'll start realizing that everybody else in this thing called life is racing just as hard as we are And if we want to live lives, if we, you and I want to live lives that are full of joy and peace, then I I promise the way that that happens is not by acquiring more wealth, more stuff, higher positions. It's by living blue flag moments and starting to pay attention to other people instead of just ourselves. Jesus lived that way. You know, he was fully divine, he was fully human, so he struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with, which is what I think one of the most beautiful things about Jesus being our Messiah is. And so he had times that he had to decide whether or not he was going to live a blue flag moment and a blue flag life. Jesus actually lived a life of always giving up his privileges, so he's Jesus, right? Fully divine. So he could have anything that he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. He lived his life giving up that privilege. That's what it means to live a blue flag life. There are so many stories that I could share with you this morning, the scripture, to illustrate the point that, you know, we are called to be selfless and to look at other people more than we look at ourselves. And that when we do that, that's what winning is. It goes back to that question that I asked at the beginning, what does winning look like for us? But Jesus, instead of just saying it, and he said a lot of stuff that's recorded in the New Testament, but instead of just saying it, he lived it over and over and over again. So I, I decided this morning, in, or not this morning, but I decided that for this morning, I wouldn't just show you, you know, an illustration where he healed the blind and he went out of his way, even though when the disciples were telling him not to bother with them. I want to show you a human moment in Jesus. We skip right over this when we study scripture, but I, st- I want you to see and me to see his humanity because one of the things that I think gets in our way of living a blue flag moment is that we get so encapsulated in our own lives, in our own stuff, our own pain, our own stress, our own anxiety, we feel like we don't have anything left to give. So how could we give a, live a blue flag moment when our own lives are so out of order, Jesus had those same feelings that you and I have. He had this this man. He was his cousin. He was the man that baptized him. So you can imagine that there was a strong bond and connection between them. This guy's name was John the Baptist, and he is the one who announced Jesus' coming into ministry. And so the Gospel of Matthew tells us about John the Baptist and the end of his life. So I wanna read that passage to you this morning and I want you to listen to what happened with Jesus because what happens with him is the same stuff that I think happens with you and me but then I want us to then look at how he handles it and I want us to realize that sometimes some of the most beautiful things in our lives happen, first of all, when we don't plan them and secondly, when we are the most inconvenienced. Some of the most beautiful things in our lives happen when we don't plan them and when we are most inconvenienced. Listen to what happened with with Jesus there was this king. He liked to kill everybody. His name was Herod, and he had just had a birthday party for his daughter, and uh, his daughter danced, and she pleased the king, and so he said, you know, I'm so happy for you and happy with you. What would you like? What kind of birthday present would you like? And, you know, typical birthday present, I guess, back then was she decided that she wanted John the Baptist beheaded. That was her birthday gift that she requested from her father. So we read in chapter 14 of matthew king herod was grieved yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guest he commanded it to be given he sent and had john the baptist beheaded in the prison the head was then brought this is impressive another neat birthday present idea for you the head was then brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought the head to her mother because her mother actually was the one prodding her to make that request. Now then, John the Baptist disciples, he had disciples just like Jesus did. John the Baptist's disciples came and they took the body and they bur- buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. How do we feel when people that we are close to dies? I'll never forget when my stepmom, who was my mom for over 20 years, uh, had a heart attack or a stroke, actually, and she was in Fry Hospital, and she was not doing well. She was in in critical care on life support, and the doctors were telling us that they didn't know if she would make it or not make it, and my dad had been keeping vigil by her side and and our family, and uh, after I left, I went to go to the bank. My dad found that 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 needed to be done. And after sitting in that hospital room for like two days waiting to see what was going to happen, when I went outside, you know, everybody was bustling about their normal business. And I'll never forget being struck in that moment realizing that life goes on. No matter where we are in our own tragedies and where we are in our own grief, everybody else's life still goes on. I'll never forget being struck by that. And then, you know, when we do experience grief and loss in our lives, I mean, it it grips us. It cripples us, right? Well, Jesus was experiencing that grief. This was one of his best friends. This was the man that baptized him. And so here these other followers come and they tell him, you know, look, John's dead. And Herod delivered his head on a platter. Hear what Jesus did after that. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat, in a boat, to a deserted place. And he went by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion for them. And he cured their sick. And this is the part that I think is the most beautiful about this passage. Because, you see, keep in mind, he left. He left on a boat by himself. He did not want the crowds to follow him. He didn't want to have to worry about healing anybody or curing the sick or doing any miracles. He just wanted to go grieve the loss of his friend. So he gets on a boat. He goes to the other side all by himself. And then he notices when he docks on the other side, well, guess what? These people are are determined. And they followed him. They walked all the way around the lake to get to the other side. And we read that he had compassion on them. Even in his own grief, he had compassion. And so he cured the sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Jesus was probably like, yeah, that was the whole point. I was trying to get away from everybody. And the disciples say, the hour is late. You need to send the crowds away. They need to go into the villages and they need to buy some food for themselves. And Jesus said, there's no need for them to go away. You feed them. Now then we can go on and read about the miracle of the feeding of the thousands. And it was not just 5,000. It was probably seven to 9,000. But we, I don't want us to get caught up in that miracle. I want us to focus on the fact that, you know, Jesus could have walked away. Or he could have done what the disciples said, which was, okay, go home now. I've given you all I've got. Go fend for yourselves. But he didn't. That's a blue flag moment. When we don't focus on what we need, but we look around at what everybody else needs. I really do think that's one of the purposes of the local church. I believe that we are here and we come together to to grow in our own faith journey. I think we study scripture. I think we join small groups so we have accountability and, and grow deeper in our faith. But then I think we are called both individually and corporately to live blue flag moments. It's what our leader and our Savior did. And every time he did, amazing things happened. So... In a little while, there's like 35 teenagers that are going to give up a week of their summer, and they're going to go to Wilmington. Now, you can say, oh, that's nice. You're going to the beach. Yeah, I know what this mission trip really looks like. Let me tell you just a little bit about this trip. Um, It's really hot there, first of all. And they get to, they'll, if they don't know this now, they'll be so excited after this message. Um, they get to wake up at like 6.30 or 7 a.m. They get to come down for breakfast, which I'm the cook, so I get to cook, which is funny because I don't really cook well. But um, surprise, uh, they get to come down for breakfast. And then by 8 o'clock, they're gone. And they're out on these work sites and the Wilmington area mission, it is basically our community's version of Mooresville Christian mission. So, what they have done is they have targeted individuals in their local community that need help. A lot of them are the elderly. And they need like wheelchair ramps or they need things fixed in their home that they just can't afford and don't have the resources to do. So this warm organization works with them to to partner with youth groups. And there's this church in Wilmington that gives up their fellowship hall and their whole educational wing all summer long to let groups come for a dollar a day a person. Do you know how much we would have to spend to find housing for 35 to 45 people? It's a lot more than a dollar a day. That's all they charge us. They let us have free reign of their facility. I don't know many churches like that. And these teens, they're out all day long and they're working in the heat. Now, we do take care of them and we have Gatorade and water and all that kind of stuff. But, but they are living blue flag moments. They are choosing not to do what's fun. They are choosing to give of their time for other people. We all have an opportunity to live blue flag moments. So today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I wanted to show you a video of a life that's been filled with blue flag moments. Take a look. There's a light that glows by the front door Don't forget the keys under the mat When childhood stars shine Always stay humble and kind Go to church cause your mom says sister. Visit grandpa every chance that you can won't be wasted time, always stay humble and kind Hold the door, said please, say thank folks, today is uh, our blue flag illustration is WWEDD. Oh, sorry. W W E D. D And I need y'all to understand that this was not my idea It was the youth And they asked if they could do this And I was not going to say no Because you know what? I think we live our lives And we wait until, you know, it's too late To tell other people what they mean to us So when they asked Come on, somebody has to come stand near me Um, When they asked if they could do that Thank you I love Will uh, when they asked if they could do that, this this morning this apparently has been a mantra of their mission trip for years they ask themselves well what would Ed do and uh, so Ed you uh, will you stand and uh, live in infamy and Ed family is here. Will y'all stand? Ed, your family is here. So if they'll stay standing while everybody else sits down, they're in the very back. So Ed, if you'll turn around and wave at your family. Uh, <laughs> so Ed is going to be one of the leaders of these, uh, this conglomeration of people. And Ava, Ed, has a special gift for you uh, for the trip this week. So will you, uh, I guess, come to the front of the stage and Ava, give it to him. It's to protect your head. <laughs> All right. Y'all can go sit be seated. Thank you. Ed is 81 years old. You guys can go sit down. We'll pray for you in just a little while. Ed is 81 years young, actually, is what I should say. And uh, he is getting ready to go on the mission trip with these young people. You know, you don't have to be famous to live a blue flag life. For the last, and Ed, I know you're not comfortable with us talking about you, so you're down there and I have a microphone, so I'm just going to do it for a minute. Um, for the, As long as I've known Ed, every time we had a mission opportunity at Williamson's Chapel or then West when he headed West, and I'm so grateful that you did, he has been one of the leaders. You know, even when a couple of years ago he needed his hip replaced, is that correct? And he was limping around on the job sites. He never once complained. He just gave of himself and gave of himself. And it's so much so that teenagers wanted to have shirts with your face on it. (laughs) I mean, there's nobody clamoring for my face on a shirt. I want to let you know. So, um, you know, that's what a blue flag life looks like. So in conclusion today, I want you to get out your cell phone and I want you to write down three things. Because I want you to remember to do these things. It really does matter. So I'm, I'm really serious. I want you to get out your cell phones. If you have been texting how boring this is all along, you've got it handy. And I want you to, to answer, ask yourself and answer these three things. Who moved over in their race for you? Somebody has moved over so that you can be who you are called to be and be where you are. At annual conference a few weeks ago, there's a new bishop in town and, you know, every pastor wants the bishop to know who they are because that means basically you can hopefully keep the appointment that you want and you're not, you know, ostracized. And so I was the stage manager for annual conference and during one of the breaks, the bishop came up to me and said, Andrea, West, right? And I'm like, oh, how do you know? And... um, It usually means I haven't turned in something on time or done something wrong. And uh, he said, I love what West is doing about discipleship. I love how there's lots of different ways for people to get involved. And there's interest groups and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that it's, it's a journey. And I'm like, how in the world do you know? And I didn't have to ask because he kept talking. And he said, Amy Coles was telling me and showed me your discipleship model. You know, Amy Coles didn't have to do that. For years, she has been someone in my life that has moved over and helped me and promoted my success and tried to get other people to buy into the vision of what a church like West can do in the community and the world. Every one of us have stories like that, have people that have moved over so that we can be who we are. So don't wait until you're asked to speak at their celebration of life service to tell them what they mean to you. In just a few hours, I'll join a family at Kevin Cook. Their 26-year-old son died very unexpectedly on Thursday. He came to West several times and had just recently started coming around Easter, and so I didn't really have a chance to get to know him. But over the past several days, I've spent a lot of time with the family listening to stories about this young man's life. And he was somebody that I really wish that I'd had a chance to get to know. I always wonder when I leave those times with families, if the people that have gone before us, the people that are deceased, if they knew how much they meant. I think that's one of the things that unsettles me in ministry the most. Why do we wait until they're not with us anymore to tell them what they meant? So who moved over for you? And this week, tell them. Send them a text. Tell them what they've meant. The second question that I want you to answer is what I asked at the very beginning. What does winning look like for you? Does it look like how it ends up? Or does it look like what happens on the journey? Does winning for you look like how it all ends or what happens on the journey? And I believe if we'll start focusing on what happens along the way, we'll be so much happier. And we'll find that our lives are so much fuller and richer. And then the last question that I want you to answer is... What do you have the power to do? Ed Landis is handy with a chainsaw and a hammer and some nails, and he's very patient. And so he has the power to change young people's lives by being patient with them as they learn to do some basic carpentry skills. That's his power. That's his opportunity to touch Everybody in this room and everybody worshiping with us online, you have your own unique set of gifts. If it's hospitality and you can cook. In times that we go through our lives and we have surgery or we do experience the loss of a loved one, people need to eat. And there are times that food is the last thing that is a priority. You can cook for other people. You can smile at other people and just say hello. It doesn't matter if you know them or not. What do you have the power to do? So I told you about my friend that I had lunch with earlier in the message today. And after I gave the answer that I thought was sincere and honest, he said, okay, now, really? You know, what do you really think? So I had to ponder that. And he went on to say, he said, you know, a lot of preachers say that. They say, well, I'm happy here, and as long as God wants to use me there, then I want to stay. He said, but really, in the back of their minds, they want to climb what's known as the preacher proverbial ladder. You know, unless you're the pastor of Centenary or Myers Park, there's always a church bigger than yours and typically how it happens in the appointment process is you stay at a church for a while and then your gifts and your grace are needed somewhere else and usually that somewhere else is a larger church with a higher salary so you it looks and it feels like in preacher world that you you get a promotion when it's time for a new appointment so that's what my friend meant we've launched west It's going fine, could always grow. But what do you want next? You've been there six, seven years. What's next for you? And when he told me to get real, I realized that I needed to. I needed to explore what was in my own soul. And I was able to say, I mean, I really did mean it. I do not have steeple envy. We don't have a steeple. (laughs) I don't want a steeple. I don't think you want a steeple. So I don't have steeple envy. I want to be at a church that is willing to do things like the back to school bash and sacrifice our budget money, not for a big fancy building, but to change people's lives and to live blue flag moments. So I looked him in the eyes and I said, I really mean it. I'm really happy here. Winning comes by what happens along our journey. And I can say to you that like having teenagers want to honor a gentleman that's a, that's a win for me. I'll always remember that they worked really hard to make today happen. What kind of blue flag moment will you do? Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to follow Jesus and to live like he did, which was not focusing always on ourselves and being willing to be inconvenienced so that we can make a difference in this world. God, we ask that you reveal to us how it is that you would have us to live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want you to do me a favor. If you'll take a seat and if the mission team will just stay where you are, I won't ask you to come back down here, but if you'll stay standing and if everybody else would just turn and look at them uh, and stare at them and make them feel really uncomfortable. I want us to pray for them and their leaders as they get ready to go be the hands and feet. I mean, you guys are are given of yourself, and you truly are living a blue flag moment. Let us pray. Gracious God, will you use the talents and the gifts and the resources that this team has to to make a difference in the people's lives in Wilmington? But God, I also ask that you make a difference in our life and our hearts. When we look at others, may we see you. May they see you. And may they see you in one another. Bless them with safety and protection and traveling mercies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give them a huge hand as they get ready to go. And thank you for coming to worship. You may go in peace. Next Sunday is the white flag. So I'll figure out what that means before then.